A Healthy Brain, A Healthy Life with Dr. Daniel Amen, today on the Faithful and True Podcast. special guest that we're all quite excited about. He is a longtime friend of uh, Mark and Debbie Laser and everybody here at Faithful and True, and he is Dr. Daniel Amen. How are you today, Dr. Amen? I am so thrilled to be with you. We have been friends for a very long time. We have. And um, I, I remember way back when we made our first visit to your clinic you know, out there in California, and just how exciting it was to see all your brain imaging equipment, and and then eventually to get scanned ourselves, <laughs> which was, uh, I remember telling you, it was kind of a scary thing, you know, not knowing what in the heck was in my brain, and uh, you always helped us feel so comfortable about that, and what was amazing is how much you could tell us about ourselves, even back when we hardly knew each other. It's been quite the wild ride, uh, the brain ride. Well, and it is interesting, Daniel, what the brain reveals about the person. Um, I remember um, working with Mark and Mark telling the story of various things that you were able to see about himself simply from the brain. And so I think one of the things that's so exciting about you being with us is it's helping us to remind our listeners the important role that the brain plays in helping to identify our choices, our life kind of the, the priorities that we have and the way that we live. So thank you very much for being with us. Well, we know our... our oh, sorry, I keep cutting you off, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> I think we have a little pause before we hear each other. Um, we know that... Uh, well, we want to introduce our audience, obviously, to the many, many books you've written, but first and foremost to that groundbreaking book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And um, what's true is, I think, after... Our relationship grew with you and knew how important it was to understand our brains. We began to uh, refer so many of our clients to you who um, clearly were struggling with some of their own issues, uh, brain health issues, and I think was getting in the way of the person that they wanted to be. So um, we've led many people there who have really been changed by the information they've learned by having their brains imaged as well. And um, one of the things that I remember you, you often say when you're speaking is that when your brain's not working well, you're not working well. I was wondering if you could just talk about that for a few minutes to our audience. Yeah, it's actually the second major principle underlying our work. The first one is super simple. It's your brain is involved in everything you do how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you get along with other people. Your brain is the organ of intelligence, character, personality, and every single decision you make. And the second principle is equally simple, but it's when your brain works right, you work right, and when your brain is troubled for whatever reason. Um, you had a head injury, you had ADD, you live in a mold-filled home. You're going through a pandemic, and you've gotten COVID, which can impact the brain in about 20% of cases. Um, when your brain is troubled, people are sadder, sicker, poorer, 
less successful because their decisions aren't quite right. And decision-making is a function of your brain. And my goal is to get everyone to fall in love with their brain and then start taking care of it. Um, and unfortunately, very few people actually ever think about their brain, and so they don't treat it with the love and respect it deserves. Well, and I would even say there's so much mystery about the brain and maybe even a myth that the brain is this stagnant organ that can't be changed. So in this idea of change your brain, what exactly are some of the things that we are able to change about our brains? Well, just like you said, it's completely a myth that your brain is better tomorrow if you sleep well tonight. Your brain is worse tonight if you have four cocktails. Um, your brain is worse tonight if all you're focused on is what's wrong in your life. What we've learned and probably the big headline news of the last 20 years in neuroscience is you can make your brain better and we can prove it. Mm -hmm. And that's the exciting news. Now, when I was in medical school, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, um, we were taught, you know, if you hurt the brain, that's it. Too bad. Um, so sad. The brain doesn't improve. But it's absolutely false that uh, I did the big NFL study when the NFL was sort of blind. They had a problem. And I've scanned and treated 300 NFL players, high levels of damage in most of them. But 80% of our players are better in as little as two months if we put them on a rehabilitation program. Now, that is so exciting when you think of people who struggle with addictions, right. any form of addiction, because often addiction comes from a brain that's been hurt. Mark and I looked at 200 of the scans of the people you guys referred to us, and 70% of them had frontal lobe problems. That's a big deal. Um, and there are very few addiction treatment programs that ever even think about the brain. I have a new book coming out in March called Your Brain is Always Listening. And it's really, it's, I enjoyed writing this book more than any of my other books. It's fun. It's about the dragons from the past that breathe fire on your emotional brain. There's just a lot of cool metaphors in the book. But I put together a new 12-step program uh, based on neuroscience. You know, AA and all the other anonymous programs are nearly 80 years old. And they weren't talking about neuroscience. So in the 12 steps, there's not one biology step or not one brain step. And for me, step three, get your brain right and your mind follow. Um, it's just a very exciting time to be a neuroscientist. You, you kind of mentioned that so much has changed since you were in medical school. So what did change? What opened up the opportunity for us to begin to see that the brain could be changed and that there was hope if there had been injury or there had been trauma? 
Well, we began to see, for example, that many things hurt the brain. And when you stop those things, the brain can actually begin to recover. So the brain continues to make new cells, stem cells, in an area called the hippocampus. Really important area of the brain. It's the major memory and mood structure in the brain. And the hippocampus is Greek for seahorse. Because it looks like a seahorse. So every day you're producing about 700 new baby seahorses. And your behavior is either growing them so they can be assimilated into the big seahorse or it's murdering them. You know, if you think of bad food, alcohol, marijuana, living in a mold-filled home, being infected, all of those things will damage the baby seahorses. But if you think of omega-3 fatty acids, uh, great nutrients, like a good multiple vitamin, healthy food, exercise, that's strengthening that part of the brain that continues to make new cells throughout life. Now, my brain at 66 makes the same number of stem cells as my daughter's brain at 17. Now, hers are more likely to survive because her blood flow to her brain is healthier. That's one of the things we learned, that as you age... You know, sort of like your skin falls off your face as you age. <laughs> the same process happens in the brain, but it doesn't have to if you engage in the right habits. In fact, many, I write a lot, and I'm an editor at the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, and the senior editor of the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease believes that Alzheimer's is a lifestyle disorder. It's not a genetic disorder. So are you at a healthy weight? Do you sleep? Is your immune system working right? Do you have good blood flow? All of those things go to either increase Alzheimer's disease or decrease it. Was there a, a technology or something that came along that allowed um, researchers to discover these truths about the brain? At Amen Clinics, we do a study called Brain Spect Imaging. Mm -hmm. Spect looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how your brain works and basically tells us three things about the brain. Is it healthy? Is it underactive? Is it overactive? And then we can balance the brain. I published a study two years ago, the largest imaging study ever done on 62,454 scans about how the brain ages. And we looked at what accelerated aging. Schizophrenia was the worst. Mm -hmm. But the second worst, and it completely surprised us, was marijuana usage. Um, alcohol, nicotine, obesity were all in there. But, you know, the idea that marijuana is going green, marijuana is innocuous, it should be available on every street corner, is just a false belief when you look at the neuroscience underlying Well, and that is definitely one of the ways that um, Mark and you partnered together because 
Mark would take a session and just talk about the brain and, and reference the spec scan and even encourage those who um, were struggling. You know, Mark often would say that if you're going to do recovery, you have to get your brain to cooperate. And if you're struggling with sobriety in an ongoing way, um, that the brain would be a good place to look to begin maybe to get some answers to those questions you have around why you are struggling. Why I loved him so much. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling was mutual. Yes, he was fun and we could play ping pong together. Uh, I mean, he just got it when, you know, he learned about my work. And I love that because so many people who are struggling with addiction, nobody even talks about their brain. Or they go to addiction recovery programs where they feed them terrible food. And it's just, it's not in the mindset of addiction specialists. And it's sort of silly because everybody knows your brain is involved in everything you do. So why wouldn't you look at it? And unfortunately, most psychiatrists, they'll go, okay, here are your symptoms and these are the drugs you get. And that's it. Where when I went to my psychiatric training at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center, we were not taught to be the candy man, where, you know, our job is to just give you, you know, be a pharmaceutical rep. That's, you know, we were taught to really look at whole people. And I went to medical school at Oral Roberts University, which is a Christian university. And we were really, I mean, our professors were like serious. You know, you always need to look at the biology, the psychology, the social circle, and the spiritual circle, which is why that do you care. And if you, if, if you just see someone as their symptom, you don't do a good job for them. Right. And, you know, and the goal of all of us that go into this is, you know, how can we help people heal? You know, Daniel, you're, you know, our population is um, primarily the world of sex addiction and um, men who struggle with sexuality and wives who have been betrayed. And we know that in both cases, there's a lot of trauma that is experienced. Can you explain to us how that shows up in the brain? I published a big study on 21,000 people showing I could separate physical trauma traumatic brain injury, from emotional trauma, PTSD, with really high levels of accuracy. So with physical trauma, we see decreases because you damage nerve cell tracts, um, ripped blood vessels, cause scarring, and so it shows up on scans as decreases. And in our sex addict population, high levels of traumatic brain injury, which I know doesn't surprise you guys at all. Um, what we saw with emotional trauma is their emotional centers. It actually looks like a diamond pattern on scan works too hard. And so with PTSD, we see their emotional brain is increased in activity. And it sort of makes sense that if your dad's an alcoholic or you've been molested, it's taught your brain you need to watch. So you become hyper-vigilant. It doesn't damage the circuits, but it causes them to overfire. And I published another study on people 
who did EMDR, which is a specific psychological treatment for trauma that actually calmed down the diamond pattern in the brain. But I was like so excited. Mm-hmm. Our study was done on police officers who were involved in shootings, and all of them went back to work, which we just thought was so cool. Um, but when I see the diamond, it just causes me to ask about trauma. And so often, <laughs> this one woman said, no, I've never had trauma. I'm like, well, there's a pattern here. I said, it doesn't mean you've had trauma. It's just a pattern. I said, but I really want you to think, have you ever had a time where you were really frightened or afraid, abused? And she's like, no, no, no. And then she said, I was 10 years old. It was in the San Fernando Valley of my friends. His father was an actor, and they had exotic animals. And while I was over there, a lion got out of its cage and pinned me, and I thought I was going to die. And then they shot the lion, and mm-hmm. she didn't die, obviously. And she said, do you think that could count? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I'm like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say that you can see the difference between a traumatic event versus a traumatic environment? So like the woman who was pinned by a lion or the police officer who witnessed a shooting. So there's this one-time experience versus the child who grew up in an alcoholic home or had ongoing um, uh, poverty, and so therefore there was a a fear that there wasn't going to be enough. Is there a, a way it shows up differently in the brain if it's an experience versus an environment of trauma? Well, the intensity will be higher for someone where the trauma was lasting. Okay. And, you know, I learned about this with my first marriage. Um, I married my childhood sweetheart. And um, a couple of months after we were married, she tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. Now, I talked to this woman every day for three years when we were teenagers. And I had no clue. Her dad was an alcoholic because she hid it so well. I had no clue the police had been to her house, the level of trauma. It's really how I got interested in children and grandchildren of alcoholics. That was my first research interest, because I'm like, what kind of impact is this going to have on my own children? And, and that's where I initially saw the diamond. But it was my research assistant who had grown up in trauma. Uh, she'd also been scanned, and she said, watch for the diamond. Because when you see the drop diamond, you should ask about trauma. Is there is there um, a particular um, way to move forward? So someone, you mentioned EMDR, and someone would identify that their brain does have the diamond pattern. You know, one of the things that Faithful and True, and, and one of the things that I, I just want to say is, on the night that Mark teaches about the brain, and he still teaches it, even though he's no longer with us, because we do show a, a DVD of him teaching it, one of the things that is so profound is it is a message of hope. And so he's talking about the brain, he's talking about all the factors that can influence the brain, and he's also talking about the hope moving forward. And so, you know, faithful and true, we, we want to be a place where people can have hope no matter what their story is. And so 
for the person who would identify as the, the diamond pattern and has experienced trauma, um, what, what does brain hope look like? How, how can that be encouraging for them? Well, their brain can be better. You're not stuck with the brain you have. Um, one of the things your listeners can do is actually have a new quiz, actually just out this week, called Know Your Dragons, and go to knowyourdragons.com. And the wounded dragon is one of the 13 dragons from the past. And if you have it, there are all these things to do. Um, and it's very common. It's actually one of the most common of the dragons from the past. And once you know it, it's just you just have to have strategies to tame it. And so EMDR is one of those strategies to tame it. There's another treatment I like called havening, where when you get anxious, when you get upset, uh, cross your arms to your shoulders and just rub down while you think about the trauma. And it just tends to settle your emotional brain. And people can learn about that. And um, your brain is always listening. Um, and then taking care of your brain. So many people who've had trauma, um, they don't eat right. They find carbs make them feel better quickly. And so they eat a lot of sugar or bread or pasta or potatoes. Uh, and it causes inflammation and obesity and hypertension and heart disease and so on. So people who have been traumatized, when they take care of their brain, when they eat right and exercise and supplement properly, they feel so much better because their brain is no longer inflamed. Well, that is really a, a message of hope for our clients, I would say, and, and all of us. And um, we appreciate you bringing that to us because I, I think when Mark does speak about this to our workshop population, it really does lower their anxiety about things and gives them specific things to work on, which is what I love, Daniel, about your program. This isn't about just taking medications. It's about changing lifestyle. And um, in our mind, that's partly what we're hoping for people as they seek well-being is becoming really a new person in the journey. So all, all of these really practical things to take good care of our brains are, are also contributing to just our entire change of who we are. And one other thing that I would say about this idea of hope is so many of the, the men and probably the women that come to our workshops are so afraid that they're going to be stuck in the trauma and that there's not hope, that this is the way it's always going to be. And so even that message that you just gave, there's some simple things, and um, they can make a big difference if we just recognize that the brain can be changed, and in changing the brain, we are also changing our lives, and that there isn't a trauma of the past that will define us um, moving forward. How exciting is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should name you a book by that, that, Daniel. <laughs> Really? Yeah, we've that got. To... I can have a better brain. Yeah. And, you know, we just we need to get kids this information. Yeah. Yes. We have a high school course that's um, all over the world now, and we teach kids to love and care for their brain. And they're just, you know, we had an outside group study it. It decreased drug, alcohol, and tobacco use. 
decrease depression and improve self-esteem. Well, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shouldn't that be a required course, given what's mm-hmm. going on in our society? Well, Dr. Amon, I, I, I want to thank you for helping me sleep much better at night. My wife, Cindy, uh, is a big, um, uh, if, if you did a search on, on your supplements uh, ordering system, <laughs> you'd find that uh, my wife, Cindy, uh, is a constant uh uh, orderer of your great supplements, and she got me onto your um, magnesium magnesium tablets at bedtime, and I am sleeping so much better throughout the night now because of these magnesium tablets that you chew at bedtime. And I said, "Where did you get these?" And she said, "Doctor Amon, he he recommends these, you know." And uh, I have found it to be just more. Uh, soothing, gentle, and effective than even dope, uh, than um, uh, melatonin. Great. Well, sixty percent of the population is low in magnesium, and just taking it helps your brain work better. And isn't that what we all want? Absolutely. Want well, to also congratulate you on the opening of your new Dallas clinic. How are things going there? It opened like a rocket ship. <laughs> should have done that earlier. Yeah, no, it's been just crazy busy. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just grateful. Third and ninth clinic. And, you know, our goal is to change how psychiatric medicine is practiced by adding imaging, natural ways to heal the brain in a functional medicine context. And... You know, I was teaching other people how to do it, and then I realized, this is complicated. We should grow. And the Lord has blessed us yeah. to be able to do that. It's also because no one else does it better. So <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're grateful mm-hmm. for you. We keep our tabs on you. This is how we know about you opening new clinics. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank you for being with us here today as we wrap up today's podcast. But we would uh, greatly appreciate uh, to have a second opportunity to have you on the Faithful and True podcast in the very new future. near future. <laughs> Easy for me to say. <laughs> Well, and thank you, Daniel, for being with us. Yes, and we hope uh, your 10th clinic might be right here in Minneapolis. <laughs> we'd, like that, we'd like that a lot. Yes. Thank you so much, and we'll be contacting you soon, okay? Great, thank you. Okay. Well, we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, listening to Dr. Daniel Amen from the Amen Clinic and his uh, many, many words of, of wisdom and uh, great guidance. Uh, he's the very best and uh, we are just all grateful and honored to, uh, to, to be partners and, and uh, associates of his uh, in any way and fashion known. Uh, we want to look forward to having him on the show again in the very near future. Watch for that coming. And in the meantime, we hope that this coming week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision. <laughs>